Would you please open to Acts chapter 10? No, no. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. You know, you preach long enough, and I mean, when I mean long enough, I'm talking about years over time. A lot of verses and passages you go to more than once. Just because of, of uh, the message in those verses. Well, this is one of them. In Acts chapter 17, in verse 10, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. These two verses are so powerful. First off, we're talking about Jews. Now, the Jews their whole life have been raised in a religious system that, in theory, tolerated no compromise. Now, we know in the Old Testament there were times they compromised, brought in pagan worship and so forth, but at this particular point in time, and they really weren't incorporating, you know, Baal worship and all this other. But you're talking about Jews, and all they knew was the Pentateuch, you know, the first five books of the Bible. They knew the prophets. They knew the Psalms. That was it. So, when somebody comes along and is teaching that there's this man, his name is Jesus, uh, he was born, he lived, he demonstrated everything that he demonstrated, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. So when you stand up and you say that to a congregation of Jewish people, immediately the reaction would, would most likely be, what? See, you have to remember, this is, uh, the Lord really impressed this upon me a long time ago. When Jesus was arrested, crucified, and rose from the dead, you need to understand, there were thousands upon thousands of Jews all spread out that region of the world who'd never heard any of this. They didn't know that there were Jews that would have never heard about Jesus. Because it may be, for whatever reason, they could not make it into Jerusalem for any of the feasts during the three years of his ministry. So if you didn't get in there, and then also, um, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see times where there were people, even at, like Jesus, uh, when he was being on, on trial and going to be crucified and all this, it's like there were some Jews that didn't know who he was. You know, what are you talking about? So anyway... Um, when, he, when Paul gets to this region of Berea, and he's teaching this, it's possible there were some Jews who'd never heard of Jesus. Then it's possible they all had. But then he's telling them Jesus fulfilled, and Jesus is, and he rose, and so forth, and, and uh, you know he's the Savior. But it says here that these people received the word. That is so important. Because when Jesus was talking about the sower sows the word, if you combine the way that that is represented in, the, in all the Gospels, not just Mark, but in all the Gospels, he talks about receiving it. The, you know, when the word is sown, you know, there are those who will receive it and keep it and so on and so forth. They're the ones who bring forth fruit. Well, here it says that these people received the word with all readiness of mind. But it didn't stop there. They searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. I wish this was a description of the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ today, quite frankly, is in a mess because people don't do this. They don't have a readiness of mind to receive the Word, and then they do not take the time to search the Scriptures daily. 
if, if they would only search the Scriptures once a week after having readiness of mind. I mean, that'd be better than nothing. But, you know, they don't do that. Now, not all. I realize I'm not describing all Christians. I get that. But, this right here, well, it brings up a question. You know, are you really teachable? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. I don't know. I mean, seriously, I don't know if you are or you're not. All the people who call this their home church and would be here in person, I don't know if you're all teachable or not. And those who watch, uh, whether they have a home church, but they watch our services as well, or they call this their home church, but they live somewhere else and they just watch by internet, I mean, I really don't know if everybody is teachable. I don't know. I'd like to think you are. But I've encountered a lot of people over the years who, they appeared teachable, but then I found out, no, you're not really teachable, no matter what you say. Here, um, not too long ago, somebody contacted me, uh, it was a Facebook message. And, uh, as you know, I do have a Facebook page, an account, whatever you call it. And I'll post lots of things. I don't get into, I don't preach. I don't use Facebook to preach. I will not lower myself. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> the moment you start preaching on Facebook, you have made yourself equal to all the people who preach anything they want to on Facebook. You're no better than anybody else. I refuse to lower myself to that standard. Because it just opens the door for controversy and conflict. I'm not going to do that. You want to know what I teach? You want to know what I believe? Listen to the sermons. I think that's pretty simple, right? And I hope nobody got offended by that, but there's some people, to this day, you really need to think about the kind of things that you post on Facebook and how you interact with those who don't like what you have to say. Nevertheless, uh, this person had contacted me more than once. Now, there are a lot of people that contact me, this person from another country, there are a lot of people that contact me from other countries. Um, they'll send me friend requests. Oh, if there aren't any mutual friends, then I'm probably not going to accept your friend request. And even if there are mutual friends, it depends on who those mutual friends are. Nevertheless, uh, this guy was sending me messages. And I get, this happens so much, I get these messages from these people in these other countries. And if you're in other, other countries, you know, please don't get offended at me. But this is the pattern that I've expect, I have experienced. You know, I get this message. Hello. <laughs> okay. Hello what? You know, and I, I'll, I ignore that. Then, you know, maybe the next day or a few hours later or maybe a couple of weeks. Hi there. How are you? And then sometimes they'll send me pictures and whatever. Well, anyway, that's kind of what was going on here. Hello. And I just, this, you know, for a period of time, I'm not talking a couple of days. I'm talking weeks, maybe a few months. I don't remember the entire time frame. I'm ignoring, I'm ignoring. I get these, he sends these pictures. That's somebody who's in ministry, okay? And uh, you may think, well, why don't you respond? <laughs> Because, let me just give you the brief summary, okay? I learned. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Well, God is doing great things here. Well, praise the Lord, God is doing great things here too. Well, God is doing such and such in our ministry, blah, blah, how, you know, well, that's good, He's doing things here too. And, you know, well, you know, how is your family? Oh, our family's good. How about your family? And it goes like that, then all of a sudden... We need your help. Can you send us money? It's like, man, you don't want a relationship. All you want is something out of my bank account. That's it. You're just trying to set me up. If I learn the hard way, that's pretty much how it goes. Not every time. But it's because of that, I don't just jump on the bandwagon of responding to everybody who sends me a message. Well, finally, this guy, I thought, you know, I'm going to reply. Hello, how are you? You know, I'm doing fine. 
So the conversation starts, and I thought, here we go. Well, I never got to the place of asking for the money, but this person, I won't say what country, this person uh, said, you're a great man of the Lord. And I replied and asked, how do you know I'm a great man of the Lord? And here was the answer. Well, because you pastor, you know, this church, Grace Church. And I said, well, that doesn't mean I'm a great man of the Lord. Oh yeah, you're a great man of the Lord, because you pastor. And I said, just because somebody pastors doesn't mean they're a great man of the Lord. Oh no, if you pastor, you're a great man of the Lord. And I replied back and I said, no, there are pastors and churches all over the place that don't teach Jesus. So just because you pastor, just because somebody pastors doesn't mean you're a great man of God. Oh no, you're a great man of God. I said, tell me something. What's the name of the last sermon of mine that you listened to? And the reply was, I don't like to debate. <laughs> I thought, okay. I said, I'm not debating. I'm asking you questions and you're refusing to answer. So as far as, and I'm leaving it at that point tonight. I'm not saying any more about that other than to say, I'll probably never again interact with this individual. This has happened so many times. Oh, you're a great man of God. You're doing great things for God, so on and so forth. So, well, how many of my sermons have you listened to? None of them. Well, then how in the world do you know I'm, I'm worth anything? How do you know? It, it happens over and over and over again. But now here's the thing. That person, far as I can tell at this point, is extremely unteachable. Because the moment I said, just because somebody pastors a church doesn't mean they're a great man of God, and he rebukes that, oh no, if you pastor, you're a great man of God. Instead of asking me, why do you say, just because somebody pastors doesn't mean, instead of asking me, and if you contact me, then you're telling me you want me to give you input. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you contact me, that means you're asking me to touch your life and to speak into your life. So when I start trying to speak into your life, don't rebuke me. Just don't do it. Because it'll be a short conversation. Now it doesn't mean that I'm going to hate you. That, that's not it. I, don't, I just don't have time for this. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. But see, these are the kind of things Satan will send people like this into your life and they will suck the life out of every second of your time. And you can't do it. I don't care if they've been your best friend for 30 years. If it starts going in that direction, you've got to cut it off. This person's unteachable. He's never heard me preach one sermon, but yet I'm a great man of God simply because I pastor a church. That's foolish. But he didn't want to hear. He didn't want to debate. I'm not debating. I'm asking you questions. You're not responding. I've gone into countries... Keep it, keep it vague. I go in, I preach a conference. And I know that I am preaching things some of them have never heard. I know that through what I'm doing in the conference, I am unlocking Scripture to them in a way it's never been done. I know that. And then, you know, the, I hear these the feedback, you know, oh, man, that was great. Man, that was, oh, wow, we never heard anything like that. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm talking pastors coming to me. And then after I come back home, they just go back to what they were doing. And I'm not saying 100% of them do it that way, but when I see things posted on Facebook by people who are there in the conferences, and I realize, <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I wasting my time going and doing this and people are not receiving it? When I say, access my website, you get it all for free. No charge. And you're not doing this? Now, 100% of them, it's not like that. Okay, there are some that have surprised me. Yeah, I've listened to this, this, and this. And, oh, wow, okay, you're serious. But generally, it doesn't happen. Like, why? It's because... They say they're teachable, but they're not. 
they flat out, they, they want to sit, they want to hear, they get excited over something that's like, wow, revelation, knowledge, this is incredible. But then when it's over, and then oftentimes what they do is, two weeks later, another conference, only this time they got somebody coming in, there's no way that the somebody coming in after me would be preaching from this pulpit. No way. So they're opening themselves up to every wind of doctrine. They are not truly teachable. You know, think of it this way. Somebody's in a service here, or I don't know, anywhere, another church. People are listening. The preacher stands up and the preacher says, Folks, I want you to understand, Jesus battled human frailties just like the rest of us. And you're going to have some people in the service, and they're going to think, what? What? He did not. That's blasphemy. What? That's Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And then the preacher, while you're still thinking that, the preacher says, if you don't believe this, just study the four Gospels. Now, the preacher made a statement that you find very, very challenging to what you've always believed. But the preacher tells you how to find out if what he just said is true or not. Now it's on you. What are you going to do with that? Because, see, you can walk out and think, I will never, ever in my life attend another service where that guy is preaching. He's crazy. He didn't know what he's talking about. Jesus struggling with the same kind of human frailties that we struggle with. There's no way. I will never listen to that man again. Or you can go home and open up, starting with Matthew, and begin reading to find out. And if you are teachable, here's what you're going to find. Well, my goodness. Look at this. Jesus, he got hungry, just like me. What? Jesus got thirsty, just like me. Jesus got tired, just like me. Jesus slept, just like me. Jesus got weary, just like me. You understand what I'm saying? And you begin to find out, yeah, he did battle the same human frailties that we battle. The preacher didn't say he gave in. The preacher said he battled. Sure he did. Jesus gets the news that his cousin John has been beheaded. And what does he do? He goes up, to a, up, up a mountain to be alone to pray. Why? To overcome the emotions of what was happening. While he's there with God, dealing with this, there are people come to him, they don't know what he's going through. And it's like, man, there's a bunch of people down here waiting for you to come and teach and whatever. And what does he do? He has to grab a hold of those emotions, bring them into subjection to who he is, go back down that mountain and minister to those people. Yeah, he battled the human frailties we face. Look over in Philippians chapter 3. But see, somebody who's not teachable, they're going to hear something like that, get all fired up, and just, that guy didn't know what he's talking about. And then, then you know what they're going to do. They're going to tell people, this guy's a heretic. He's a false prophet. He, he's unscriptural. They're going to tell people, and they'll tell it their way because they want people to believe them. They want to draw people to their side. This goes on all the time. In Philippians chapter 3, now look what happened. Look here, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, verse 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. What does he mean? Confidence in what I've accomplished by my works. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I am more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, 
blameless. In other words, you, you want to compare? I can compare and prove to you that I was way above, way beyond you. Here's part of the thing. What a lot of people don't realize, when he said of the tribe of Benjamin, a lot of Jews, probably the majority of the Jews in this, at this particular time, could not prove their heritage. But the fact that he could gave him status among the Jews. In other words, he said, look, I have my ancestry. I can prove to you I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, a lot of them couldn't do that. Well, along with this, look in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, just look at verse 13. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, uh, ravaged it, destroyed it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Another place you can see where Paul studied in, uh, at the feet of Gamaliel. That was like the Harvard of Jewish universities back then. Paul was exceptional, outstanding. When he talks about here, um, uh, more exceedingly zealous of the traditions and uh, above many my equals, he was on his way to being probably, I mean, he, because he was of the tribe of Benjamin, he could never be a high priest, but he was, he was on his way to becoming a dominant, if not the dominant voice other than a high priest among the Jewish people. History, and I won't get into all that, it's in my teaching on the book of Romans. But now if you look over in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now here in Acts chapter 9, you know, this we all know the story, but it says in verse 1, and, and Saul, this is before he became Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus of the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and in other words, any people who, who any Jews uh, believing in Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. All right? Now, we're not going to go back and read uh, back in Romans. Well, it, when Stephen was uh, executed, you know, it talks about that uh, the Apostle Paul made havoc of the church and so forth. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> he was doing everything that he thought that he was supposed to do for God. See, that's the thing. He was sold out to God. He, he was... He was willing to lay his life down for God. He was, he was super Jew. And you weren't going to tell him otherwise. So now, here he is. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to look for Jews that you know, believe in this, this Jesus person. Why? Because he thought it was error that was leading Jews away from Jehovah and straight to hell. And so he was going to do everything he could to purge the, the Jewish society of anyone who preached this Jesus. Well, in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice say unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Verse 6, trembling and astonished. Why was he trembling and astonished? Well, he saw a bright light. Yeah? And, and he heard the voice. Yeah? <laughs> Whose voice did he hear? Jesus! In other words, wait a second. The person that I basically was accusing of being a cult leader is now talking to me, but I know for a fact that man died. See, here's something a lot of people maybe not think about. When Jesus was put on trial, the odds are in favor that the Apostle Paul was there for that trial because of his standing in the Jewish religion. 
Now, Scripture doesn't say that, but because of what we know of him, there is an excellent chance that he was there for that trial. Not only that, an excellent chance he was there at the crucifixion, watched him die, and then looked around at the followers of Jesus crying and boo-hooing with a smirk on his face, there's your Messiah, and then walked away. Then the rumors of his resurrection. I can just, I'm, he, he, he got furious about this. Just, no, we've got to put an end to this. We've got to stop it now. And this is what he was doing. Persecuting, torturing, having people killed. We have got to purge this out of our, our Jewish system. We can't have this. He was totally, 100% committed to God, convinced that the gospel of Jesus was heresy and it was taking Jews to hell. Totally convinced. He persecuted Christians to try and, and purge this error out of their system. But here's the thing. Even though he loved God and had yielded his life to serve God, he was 100% wrong. Now think about this. He was 100% wrong in his doctrine, and that doctrine was going to send him to hell. Is that not crazy? He was committed to God, the God that sent his son Jesus to earth. He was sold out to Jehovah. But yet, Jehovah God had made the declaration, it's over, meaning no more law. Law of Moses, this is over. Now, my son has made the way. The veil has been torn. I mean, all of this. And so here, here's somebody serving God. Serving God. And yet, he's going to hell. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine the shock on somebody? They're, they're like that. Totally sold out to God. And then the moment they die, they step into an eternity and there's not going to be any more doubt. They're going to realize, oh no, I was wrong. And they're going to go to hell. They will go to hell believing in one God and one God only and living for Him. But having rejected Jesus Christ, God's plan for salvation. That is mind-boggling. But yet that's the way it is, and that's the way it was for Paul. There are preachers today. Well, let me back up a little bit. The one thing we can say about the Apostle Paul, he was teachable. <laughs> he was so teachable, God used him to teach us and to write all of what he wrote in the Bible. That is a testimony. But you have preachers today, they love God. It's not a question of whether or not they love God. They love Him. They lay, they lay their life down for Him. They're, they're sold out to serving God, to helping others, and, and doing what they can to represent God. But their doctrine is so wrong, it's going to send them to hell. You know, they're going to be taking a lot of people with them. The people in their churches. I remember here not too long ago, very recently, I went to the website of a particular church. I wanted to, long story short, I wanted to see something about their, their audio and video. So I went to the website and I'm watching this. And uh, I'm thinking, man, all these people, they're showing up at this church to serve God. They're acknowledging Jesus. But they're not preaching Jesus. You know what I mean by that? And so you have a, a church full of people that talk about Jesus, talk about God, talk about serving God, talk about loving God, and yet they're all going to hell if they have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so the pastor, he stands up, he loves God. He prays. He reads his Bible. But he's not even born again. And he doesn't tell the people about being born again. So every week, week in and week out, and they're doing community things and all this stuff, they, they want to tell people about God. 
all the good service and Sunday school classes and fellowships and men's groups, women's groups, all this kind of stuff going on. And yet, what, what you have is a religious gathering of people who are not born again. They're all going to hell. But yet, they're faithful. You know, you sit and you think about that, and let's just be honest, it almost doesn't seem fair, right? But yet, the standard has been established through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Himself said, you must be born again. That's it. And you know, what I'm sharing here right now, a lot of people, I don't think they really consider this too much. Because sometimes we have this idea, you know, ah, cults and all this weird stuff. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff out there where the people aren't weird. They're trying their best to serve the one true God. And then, the thing is, some of them, they mean well, and they'll stand right up and tell you, you don't need to repent as a Christian. (laughs) In churches where people are born again, and they tell people about being, a born, being born again, but then they say, you don't have to repent if you sin. In spite of what's in Scripture. And then they say, well, not, we're not telling people it's okay to sin. We're not endorsing sin. But you're telling them they don't have to repent. So, yeah, in a roundabout way, you're letting people know, don't worry about it. And yet the Bible says, you better worry about it. <laughs> you better repent. Yeah, I tell you, pray a, a prayer, fasting, worship in the Word. It's all just works of the flesh. When God moves by His grace, then you'll get whatever it is that you need. Well, that's not really the way that they taught it. You know, it's not the way that Peter and Paul and John and James, etc., etc. It's not the way they taught it. They put the responsibility on us to do what we are supposed to do in order... To receive from God what He wants us to have. There was one church. I might play this for you sometime. Um, Gary Carpenter received a letter from a person who was talking about a, a church they had been to, and everything was okay for I don't know how long, a few years. Then they started getting kind of weird. And in their services, the uh, pastor and some of the leaders in the church call them elders or whatever, and they started dressing up like the Levitical priests. And it just got more and more law of Moses in their services to the point they moved their services from Sunday to to Saturday, Sabbath. And then they started, uh, one of the members had a farm. They started, started going to the farm and having animal sacrifices. Yeah. I'm not making this up. He reads the letter. Gary reads the letter in one of the sermons. Okay, now, you know what? Those people are going to hell. You say, well, that's a pretty strong accusation. Listen, the moment that you put the blood of an animal above the blood wherewith you were cleansed, guess what? You're trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. And you are now basing your salvation on killing this animal. On eating this and not eating that. You don't keep your salvation... By living under the law of Moses. You can't. Hear me now. You can't. And if you think you can, you are, you have begun redirecting your focus from Jesus Christ to your performance. And that will send you to hell. I mean, if you continue on that path, it will send you to hell. And Scripture makes this clear. Well, you know, you, people hear this and it's like, well, I don't think so. I don't believe that. And you tell the people that are doing these things how dangerous it is to be on this path. They don't want to hear it. Even if you open the Bible and line upon line, break it down for them. They don't want to hear it. Why? Why not? You'd think somebody would want to hear it. Explain to me why I'm wrong. <laughs> but they don't. Why not? They're not teachable. You have uh, people who attend a church, you know, call it a full gospel church, whatever. Great praise and worship, signs, 
wonders, whatever, healings, deliverances, so on and so forth. Gifts and manifestation. Then for whatever reason, um, just for whatever reason, they start going to another church. Again, you know, a full gospel church, spirit-filled, so on and so forth. However, the governmental structure in the new church is different from the one they went to. But the one they're now attending, its governmental structure lines up with what is in the Bible. But because their whole life they were in this other church, they now think, well, this new church, these guys are out of order big time. I mean, they are so wrong. But the key is going to be, are they teachable enough to receive what God's Word has to say about church structure, order, and government? Because if not, (laughs) they're probably not going to stay there very long. But if they're teachable, the question will be, why are you doing it like this? Help me understand. And what I've encountered is too many Christians, they don't ask this. They don't want to know. They're they're not teachable as much as they say they are. I've encountered this. Somebody, there's a verse in Scripture, says, you know, whatever. And there's a word. Sometimes when you translate a Greek or Hebrew word, into English, it's not just one word. Sometimes it's like a short phrase. And so here they are, they, they read something in, I don't know, uh, Acts or James or wherever. They, just, they read, there's a verse. And they look at the Greek word that this particular English word or English phrase came from. And they say, well, here's what this means. Here's what this is talking about. And then you go back and you look and it's like, no, (laughs) that's not what that means. Not if you leave it in context. Especially if there are other passages in the New Testament addressing the same subject with a whole different result. But here's what happens. Some of these Greek words, Hebrew words are the same. They can have different meanings, but the understanding of the meaning is relative to the contextual use. For example... We have in our English language the word green. All right. Now, if I stand here and I tell you, uh, well, you know, Lee, Lee's kind of green. What did I just tell you? Did I tell you that Lee is very inexperienced? Did I tell you that Lee is, um, he's looking kind of sick? Kind of, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Pale? Did I just tell you that he spilled a bucket of paint on his head? Or did I tell you that he is environmentally conscious? You know what I'm saying here? What did I just tell you? You don't know. But you'll make of it what you want unless you want to know what I meant. You follow what I'm saying? He said Lee was green. I looked at him. <laughs> Didn't look green to me. He's wearing blue. Maybe pastor's colorblind. Why, he didn't look sick to me. On and on it goes. I remember there was a preacher one time. <laughs> he, he had preached the, the give and get rich and all this other prosperity doctrine. Well, then his ministry basically, I mean, it imploded. It was a mess. Well, then he's on TV on a religious show, Christian show. And he's explaining, yeah, I was so wrong. And then he goes to a particular verse. And he says, here's what this verse says. But what it really means is, and I'm listening to this, and he gives the wrong meaning. He gives the wrong interpretation. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. It means what it says there in the context. It can't mean what you're saying in this context. And I'm thinking there are other places where that Greek word means what you're saying in that context. And I just, I thought, how many hundreds of thousands of people are watching this right now and they're going to walk away with a total misunderstanding of what this verse means unless they want to dig it out. And some people might say, well, yeah, but, you know, that's you, Pastor. 
I mean, you know these things. You understand these things. Well, let's look over in 2 Peter, just for a moment. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Now look here in, in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Get that? You know what that means? Okay, I've got to keep it really short and brief here. What, what that is talking about is God's not going to give a different interpretation to each person that comes along. But along with that, it also implies that you have the ability to understand it just like the person in the pulpit. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Why? What do I have to do? All right, well, you have to study the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of truth. You do this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for the complete development of your spirit person, your born-again life. So see, every single person, well, I didn't go to college, I didn't go to seminary, I didn't go stop it with, you know what you're telling me is, you don't want to know and you're not teachable. You really don't care. And what happens is that makes it difficult for you know me because, and this has happened in this church, I've taught things, and then there are people who hold on to something they think is right, even though I have clearly identified line upon line that that particular thought was wrong. So, if you disagreed with me, why didn't you get into the, the Scriptures and study them out to see if these things be so? Look in John chapter 6. You know, let's just say, <laughs> for whatever reason, something happens and you move a thousand miles away. Now granted, you could watch our services, but what if where you move is out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have really good internet access? What are you going to do? Are you going to start attending a church just because it's there? And... Because you don't study things out, then how are you going to handle this when week after week you're hearing stuff that's not right over and over, over and over, over and over and over again? That's going to happen pretty soon. Confusion's going to set in. You're going to start drifting in the direction of that new church because you're not rooted and grounded. You're not established in the faith. In John chapter 6, look here. In verse 28, now this is an interaction with Jesus. Then they said unto Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. How do we work the works of God? He says, Well, that's easy. Just believe on him whom God has sent. Did they do it? No. Just, just keep reading. <laughs> you find out they didn't do it. They, they said, look, verse 30, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? If you go back to chapter, in chapter 6, you go back to verse 1, start reading, guess what happened? He fed thousands with loaves and fish, and they're asking for a sign. What you're telling Jesus is, we want to know how to do the works of God. And then he tells them, well, show us a sign. <laughs> what more do you want? They're not teachable. They did, I don't even know what they wanted. Really, it's kind of weird. We want to work the works of God. All right, you know what? How many of us have said the same kind of a thing? God, I want, you, I want to see your works manifest in my life. Jesus said, if you believe on me, the works I do, you shall do also. That's the same thing he's saying here. The work of God? <laughs> you want to know how to do them? Believe on Him who, he, who He sent, who God sent. There's your answer. If people weren't going to do it back then, then what in the world makes you think people are going to do it now? I'm not trying to be mean to any of you, but here's the thing, guys. If we're not truly teachable, then I don't know if you're going to end up in heaven or hell. Really. Because if you're not teachable, you may start grabbing hold of every wind of doctrine. That's happened to some people who've attended here. And they've left because of it. Well, not much I can do. 
See, everybody, if you ask any, any Christian, just ask them, are you teachable? What do you think they're going to say? No. Are you kidding? I'm not at all teachable. <laughs> I'm stubborn as a bull. No. They're all going to say, well, yeah, I'm teachable. And they are until they hear something that contradicts their long-held belief. And then all of a sudden, no, what? No way. I had somebody one time tell me it would have been impossible for Jesus to commit sin. That's what somebody told me. I said, well, but what it says in Scripture, oh yeah, that's what, but, but that's, what that means in the Greek is, and I'm, I no, what it means is, and uh, he was only partially right with his definition of the Greek word. And I, I was explaining, well, no, I mean, in that setting, no, I mean, what it said. You know what? And, and he kept going. I, I realized, this is a lost cause, and I'm not having this conversation, because this guy is unteachable. I don't know where he got it. I don't know if the pastor of the church... I was ministering in this church when this happened. And I'm thinking, is this what the pastor here teaches? Are you teachable? Are you really, really teachable? I'm guessing it's possible that the majority of the people in this room, or watching, or both, um, that over the years, if you've been here long enough, if you've been here several years, you've heard me say something that caused you to sit back and think, do what? What now? Say that again. Turn to Romans 8. I'd forgotten about this. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Now, I've taught on this before, so if you, when I say this, um, and and you don't believe it, even though I've taught on it, you know, don't look shocked, alright? You know, put on your poker face here, okay? The, um, the first time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans chapter 8 is verse 16. Well, Brother Martin, that's stupid. No, that's the first time. And I can remember, man, it must have been, I don't know, 20 years ago, when I heard Pastor Dave talking about this, Pastor Dave Roberson, and uh, he said that, and I thought, now wait a minute. Okay? Because he said, like verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Well, it's capital S. Got to be the Holy Ghost, right? Yes, of course. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, that's capital S. Got to be the Holy Ghost, right? Yeah. And then you go through here and all these capital S's until you get to verse 16. Well, it's got to be the Holy Ghost because it's capital S. <laughs> well, he said that, and oh man, I'm telling you, there were some people that were like, what's he talking about there? Blasphemy, blasphemy. But what I did was go back and do something like this. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the born-again life. For the law of the born-again life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I started making that substitution. It's like, well, shazam, there it is. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Then you get to verse 16. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our little s spirit, born-again life spirit, that we are the children of God. Well, you can't be a child of God if you don't have the born-again life spirit in you. Now, for those of you who feel like, I ain't never heard this before, where have you been? Because I've taught on this more than once. What I just said should not be a shock to anybody who's been here long enough, been here several years, it shouldn't be a shock. You should be saying, yep, yeah, I know, I understand that. And the same thing is true in other places in the New Testament where the capital S is wrong. It shouldn't be a capital S. Because it's talking about your born-again spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Well... <laughs> People who aren't teachable. I'm, there were some folks that struggled. There may be some people struggling with that to this day. Angered over it. It's like, well, no, just do what I did. The law of the Spirit, or the law of the born-again Spirit, the born-again life 
in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Listen, the, the Holy Spirit didn't make me free. Do you hear me? Hello? <laughs> Some of you are like, what? No, the Holy Spirit didn't make me free. It's that life in me that made me free. If it was the Holy Spirit, you'd have had people in the Old Testament who were free. Because the Holy Spirit was moving back then. The Holy Spirit was in the book of Genesis chapter 1. But I didn't get free until I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and the old man was crucified with Christ and all things became new. What things? My spirit. My born again man on the inside of me. My born again spirit became new. That is what set me free from the law of sin and death. Because now I've got the law of life living in me. This is not complicated. It's really not if you're teachable and you have received teaching with all readiness of mind. See, that's why I had that series entitled I'm Born Again and I'm Saved. The terms born again and saved are not equal. Born again is the process. Saved is the benefit. Saved is what you get because you're born again. The word salvation. I'm saved from sickness and disease. I'm saved from fear. I'm saved from depression. I'm saved. But I got born again when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. These things, honestly, this stuff's not complicated. And I've taught extensively on these things over the years. But if people aren't teachable and don't receive it, see, you can sit here and hear, oh, wow, man, great sermon. Oh, glory, never seen that before. Okay, two years later, I bring it up again, and you're like, what? I never heard that before. Okay, I am, honestly, guys, I am not trying to be offensive here. But what does all this mean to you? This is, this is part about, partly about us being ready for the outpouring the revival, and being strong, strong enough to make it through all the deception that's coming. Not only the deception that's here now, but the deception that's going to increase that Jesus prophesied about in Matthew. We've got to be ready. If we're really teachable, then yeah, we will search the Scriptures daily. We'll get into the Word and study something out. There, there are some things that God has shown me I'm not ready to teach because I don't, it's like I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle lined up in a way to where I could preach it line upon line without confusion. But one particular subject, if, if I don't teach it right, it will be fuel for those who teach error. They'll take it and twist it. I know it. I know it for a fact. You say, well, what is it? Well, I'll let you know when it's that time. <laughs> See, I have to be teachable. I have to be willing to lay aside something, I think this is right. I think this will make a good sermon. And if the Holy Spirit is saying, uh-uh, <laughs> then I best not be doing it. Guys, we have to be teachable. And the more we are, the more the Holy Spirit will be able to teach us. Glory to God. Please stand.